I'm like, you know what? Um, my life is fucked. I just got caught doing two robberies. The FBI was here fucking not even 24 hours ago. And everything, my, my world's gone to shit. I'm probably going to go to prison. I'm probably going to die in prison or get raped in there. Because that was just like what I've envisioned prison to be. And I decided to take that handful of pills, all 100 plus of them, in one shot, washed it down with some alcohol. And I'm like, I'm okay with not waking up. Welcome to the Fuck the Sigma podcast today. I have Patrick here. We're going to be talking about the stigma. So what's up, Patrick? What up? What's good? Um, I've known Patrick for about a year now. And interesting. Uh, you know, like this was the guy in when I was in treatment that would wake me up in group. And that would like, like that's the boss man you're supposed to be scared of. And like now we're chilling on a day to day almost. So yeah. Well, that's how this stuff works. Yeah. It's, I don't know, a lot's changed. And, like, you've, you've really seen it from, like, the jump. And I think that's really cool. So, Patrick, what does fuck the stigma mean to you? All my life, I have lived in a stigma. Um, I am Armenian, Middle Eastern. I was born in Iran. I am a recovering drug addict. I am an ex-convict. I have basically lived in what we in this society know as like stigma Mm -hmm. as um, you know you are a certain type of way because of who you are or where you were born or what ethnicity and race you are what religion you are Um, fuck the stigma is kind of like this last couple years I've been a little more open about who I am Um, I've been you know even my Instagram page with um, people I went to high school with, my family members, I'll post about my recovery. I'll post about my sobriety time. I'll post about, you know, like the people in my life that have helped me get through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, it was a little difficult. It was something um, because of the way people viewed me. I, I had this sense of shame um, because I felt that it was um, it's my fault that I'm an addict. It's my fault that. Um, I got incarcerated and I went through the things that I went through. It's like, um, like almost like predisposed to being viewed and judged in a certain way by society. So I was very like reserved about it. I wasn't living out loud about it. But in the recent years, I've been a little more open about it, talking to people about it. When my family would um, ask questions instead of being so reserved because of how they viewed me, I would actually give them the real mm. about what I went through and like what I'm doing now. What what happened in the past year, like to where you wanted to be more vocal? I stopped giving a shit. <laughs> I, I seriously did. Um, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, and we were having a discussion about how social media has fucked up everybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's come to the point where um, you have to live, look, and do certain things in certain ways to be accepted by people. And I don't believe in that shit. I believe that everyone is unique. Everyone has their special set of skills, and everyone is different. And that's the beauty of people and society. But what social media in the most recent years has done, in my opinion, is that everyone has to have that model fit look. Everyone has to have the Botox and the facelifts and the, 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 the lips and, you know, the boobs for women. It's like, where the fuck did we go from being real and authentic to being something that we're not? Yeah. You know, that's that was I, like my like little starting point after that conversation. I'm like, why am I living my life this way? Why am I living my life to how people think I should act or view or believe in certain things? It's like 
I'm my own fuck. I'm my own my own individual. Like I want to be authentic in my day to day. Like why am I going to live based on like what you think of me? And that that was rooted back to how I was as a child. I was always seeking approval. I was always looking for um, that good job, that um, the acceptance from other people. So I was a chameleon. I would do and be whoever you wanted me to be. And I was never my true authentic self. I didn't know who the fuck Patrick was till I was basically 23 years old. Yeah. I lived my life to who you wanted me to be. So that's where it all stemmed from. That's You worded that very well. Damn. I definitely agree with the, the social media thing. I feel like what's cool about Fuck the Stigma is that we're trying to like put that hard to talk about stuff, the hard to see stuff, the, the topics that we kind of want to like just push to the back of our heads. We're trying to like put that out there and like, hey, this is the real. And as well with like Instagram, there was a there was a thing where it was uh, bring make Instagram casual again. Because when Instagram first started, it was just like you post a random selfie wherever you are. Yeah. And now it's like become like uh, we're seeing these unrealistic expectations and, of people like being posted. Like there's no way. And, and people are scared. People are scared to talk about like who they are and their true authentic selves. And instead they'll post the fake shit they won't be real about themselves they won't be real about themselves to other people because they're scared they're going to be judged and viewed as a certain way and won't be accepted yeah and it's weird that we want the like validation from strangers yeah um you'd mentioned stigma with incarceration yeah what's that about so when i was at the peak of my addiction i was using heroin on a daily basis i was using needles i was um taking xanax handfuls of them maybe 12 to 15 pills a day i was using you name it i was using it Mm -hmm. just to feel okay i couldn't get out of bed without taking three to five xanaxes in the morning normally that's enough to overdose kill somebody but like that's my that's my daily function Mm -hmm. um at my peak i was using about like three to five hundred dollars worth of drugs a day and it's just not sustainable i couldn't keep a job i um burned all my bridges with my family yeah i had zero dollars in my bank account um i was already going around to like liquor stores and stealing things because i just needed like you know like 7-eleven i needed a little food or snack or or drink water like water for god's sake you know (laughs) Um, so I would just steal it. I would just, I, I was, I'm so accustomed to stealing things. That's how, that's how I was. And that's who I became to be. Um, I was going around stealing drugs from drug dealers. Um, we had a conversation the other day about that, that I would, um, use some of the money that I had to pick up and build trust. And then yeah. I would ask the drug dealers to bring me a big bulk of items and I just steal it from them. I dragged a drug dealer's girlfriend on my car for like a hundred <laughs> yards until I pushed her off and like I just saw her rolling on the floor and just Whoa. took off. Yeah, in that place in my life, I didn't give a fuck. I didn't. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. I am gonna run over you to get what I need. Yeah, run and over so, you to just get drugs, feed your addiction. Yeah, fuck everybody else. Fuck everybody else. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I uh, I I was in a real real bad bind. I owed a lot of money to not a lot, but I owed few thousand dollars to drug dealers um i was at the peak of my gambling addiction i would go to the casino every single day to play poker that was like one of my addictions i would get really really high and go play poker at like 3 a.m mm-hmm. and um you know i needed money so i my very first job was a chase teller i was a teller for a bank chase bank and um, you said those were your very first job very first job right out of high school okay. that was my very first job i ever had um, and I, 
even during that job, I started stealing from them. I started stealing money from them. And they found out and they kind of just let it go. And um, I quit before I could get fired, but I was still under investigation. Mm. Now, years later down the line, when I'm at the peak of everything, I um, had a thought that I should go rob a bank. And I knew how to do it. I knew all their policies and procedures. I knew uh, what route to take there and back. I knew everything that I needed to do. So I did it. Woke up one morning, took my handful of Xanax. <laughs> I wrote a note that said, um, this is a robbery. Give me everything in your top and bottom drawer. Because every teller has a top drawer with all the regular cash and the bottom drawer with their big stacks. Yeah. And I had a full, like, really hefty, disgusting beard. I threw a cap on, threw some shades on. I threw some random clothes I never wear. Drove straight to the bank, walked up to the teller, held it. Oh, actually, I, the first time I, um, yes, the first time. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I I slid the note to the guy mm-hmm. with my fingerprint with everything on there, you know? And I'm like, when I did that, I'm like, damn, you're a jackass. Um, so I gave it to the guy and he started panicking. He just didn't know what to do. Um, they aren't supposed to give it to you if you're not threatening. So all I did was put my hand in my back pocket, reaching for my wallet. Everyone else behind me thought I was reaching for my wallet. But to the guy, it looked like I had a weapon. I wrote down, I have a weapon. And... Uh, and he gave me everything gave me about like 10 grand cash um and i walked right out drove home i threw all my clothes out and i shaved my beard and i i went on my day genius i literally went on my day i felt like a fucking king i felt like i felt like a gangster. Like i made I it like, yeah i made yeah. it you know i'm like i'm doing it um i went and paid off my drug dealers my buddy uh who was my friend at the time was in a bind so i uh helped him out and paid off a lawyer i paid off some of his debt um he flipped another buddy of of our car so that buddy's like hey pay my difference in my insurance i paid that off for him uh i bought a bunch of drugs went to the casino that night made all my money back that night because i was just playing with free money i didn't really care and i Mm -hmm. just made it all back so I had like $12,000 in cash, bunch of drugs, and that lasted me for a month. And so, <laughs> it lasted me for a whole 30 days. So I, like 30 days after, to the fucking day too, that was, that was July 25th. I, no, that was, um, that was May 25th. I did the robbery. Yeah. June 25th, I went and did my second one. Now I was going to play a poker tournament and I had enough money for a buy-in and a rebuy. Mm-hmm. So a thought crossed my mind. I'm like, I should go do another robbery just to have some backup cash. Yeah. And so I, it was a fleeting thought. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do it. That morning, now that I remember, I have like a little more of my memory back. I took five Xanaxes instead of three. Because I would always lay out however many Xanax I took on my nightstand and then went to bed. But I had more that that night and I put more out. So I took more. And when I take five in the morning, that's the days that I know I want to black out right away. And Xanax, I black out. Mm-hmm. So by the time I came to consciousness, I was sitting in a holding cell, cuffed to the table, talking to two detectives. That, ah. And it was, it was mid-conversation. It was like one of those movie moments. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? What am I doing here? Dude, I know. Like, it's crazy. I know yeah. the feeling. So like I would, every time I've been in jail, it's just like... I wake up, oh, fuck, Fuck. how did I get here? Damn it, yeah. Um, And I I was having a conversation with them, I guess, apparently. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And they showed me pictures of me walking out of the bank. Apparently, I did the second one, same setup. And the lady picked me out of the six-pack right away. 
like they have a little six pack of like who who mm-hmm. they think it. So they had I didn't know that they had a watch on me for over a month. So they had pictures of me of like my hangout spots, my friends, me picking up drugs oh. at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> Just everywhere. I'm like, you guys are good, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, so I went about that. I got charged with two second-degree robberies. They didn't have a weapon on me, so they couldn't charge me with armed robbery. Um, and I was sent to the holding cell. I called my dad right away, pleading for him to get me out. He went and paid 20 grand for a bail bond, mm-hmm. bailed me out. Um, the next day, he went and paid 15 grand for a lawyer. Got me the lawyer, and then the following day I went to treatment. Um, and I didn't go. To, I didn't go to treatment like, oh my god, let's go. No, I went kicking and screaming the night before. So my room was a complete mess. I found out later on that the FBI actually showed up first. So my mom told me that five uh, black SUVs showed up on our block. They walked in. It was just FBI's with their windbreaker. Walked into my house, went into my room, and just tore apart everything. They found the extra cash that I had stored away yeah. from the second robbery. And they could, they didn't find anything else in the house. I had a little stash cap that's actually was pretty useful, and <laughs> I had a lot of pills in that motherfucker, like maybe over a hundred different types of pills, from muscle relaxers to sleeping meds to Xanax to oxys to anything you name. It was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came home that night. I was a little sober, and I f- saw my stash cap just sitting on the floor, and I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> wonderful and i i opened it up i i had like a little baggie full of pills and i'm like you know what um my life is fucked i just got caught doing two robberies the fbi was here fucking not even 24 hours ago and everything my my world's gone to shit i'm probably going to go to prison probably going to die in prison or get raped in there because that was just like what i've envisioned prison to be and I decided to take the handful of pills, all 100 plus of them, in one shot, washed it down with some alcohol. And I'm like, I'm okay with not waking up. Mm. Yeah. So I went to bed and I, I woke up uh, pissed. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, fuck, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I went to treatment the next day, kicking and screaming. Um, um, I went, go ahead. You, somebody, did you set up the treatment? No, no. So, my mom called insurance and, yeah. they, and they referred me to... Uh, uh, a place called Las Encinas that was a it's like a slash psych slash um, treatment center yeah so I went there that's that's yeah that's how mine kind of went yeah. as well like my parents did it I didn't want to but that's what happened because I just was in jail that's so crazy yeah but um yeah I was fighting my case from inside inside the um, treatment center spent a month there graduated went to outpatient graduated um, the courts are like you got two years and we're not giving you a better deal and I'm like, well, fuck it. I went and relapsed. Went back to treatment. Spent another two months in inpatient. And then I um, discharged December 6th. And I, um, on December 7th, my mom's birthday, I went to court and I surrendered myself to the court for two years. So you're in prison for two years now? I was in prison for two years. Well, they, so the, it, well, the way it works is that they give you like good time. And everyone talks about, oh, good time, you'll get out early. So here's how the system fucks you. They give you the good time off the bat. You get your sentence for two years. Since mine was a violent offense, they gave me 85%. So that 15% is your good time. Mm. Now that's where you fuck it up when you're in, when you're in prison. That's where you make the mistakes. Interesting. You, you get write-ups in there. Mm-hmm. So if you get caught with a dirty UA, you get 30 extra days. What? You get caught fighting. It depends on the severity of it. You can get six months to a year. 
my dumbass got caught with drugs in there, so I got full sentence mm-hmm. plus a, a, an ad charge is what they call it. So I had to go back to county to fight another case. So that was like, um, <laughs> yeah, that the prison itself was was fucked up because um, we were just talking about this. That so I'm Armenian. Um, I was born in Iran, and we don't have a race in prison. So the Armenian gang called AP-13 is 13, that's Southsiders. So they run with the Southsiders, Mexicans. So when I went in there, I ran with the Mexicans. I had, I had some Armenian guys in my cell in my cell unit, and um, they kind of guided me towards like where I'm supposed to go. And it's all fucking bullshit. It's all politics. It's all about money. It's all about rules and regulations. They tell you how to shit, where to shit, and why to shit. It's like um, its own government It's in its there. own government in there, mm-hmm. seriously. The politics is insane in there. And, um, yeah, I did that for a year and a half. And naturally, I am a, um, I like to think of myself as, well, I th- like to thought, like I thought of myself as a little hustler. So I would get, I get mixed up in the politics with the people that are bringing in drugs. I wanted to stay high. So I got mixed up with the people that are actually bringing it in and I started selling it in, in prison. So I was staying high for a whole year, every single day, as many, as many times as I wanted during, in a day. Um, I was getting paid on a regular basis, so I never went without food. I never went without like new clothes. Like I just stayed good, mm-hmm. and then things started drying up. Like what? Like the the dope, the heroin, mm. the meth. Everything started drying up coming in. So at that point, I started. I had a horrible habit, very expensive habit, and I started using my mom's money. I would actually call my mom and this is this is how bad I got. I would call my mom and tell her that like my life's in danger and I need to pay these people off. Oh. Yeah. And I'm talking about thousands of dollars that my mom has paid off in debt when I was in there. And these people will kill you if you don't pay their money. Mm-hmm. They will kill you. They don't give a fuck who you are, what you are. They will they will stab you. I've seen it so many times that someone gets stabbed to death or just stabbed because they didn't pay their debt you really saw it yes many times it happens on a regular basis if someone messes up in there um and i didn't want to be that guy so Mm -hmm. i called my mom manipulator that where where it all changed was um i went to uh, the hospital because i had an abscess in my arm my arm was infected and it became puffy to the point where i couldn't feel my elbow Mm. and so i had to go to the hospital for them to drain it and then like the infection corroded into my muscles, so there's a little dip right here. And when they um, when they drained the fluids out of my arm, I lost my motor skills. So I had no control over my arm. All I could do was just raise my arm. Mm. That's all I could do. I couldn't bend. I couldn't move. I lost 95% of my motor skills. So an orthopedic surgeon would practice with me every day to retrain my arm. And um, all said and done, I regained full motor skills. I went back to the cells and I had some leftover dope and I couldn't find the vein because everything was shot out and I shot into the same vein that I almost lost my arm with. <laughs> <laughs> the insanity. Yeah. It was just, it, the whole being in prison was that you had to follow the set guidelines or else. So there was a lot of fear, it's a lot of fear based in there and that really fucked with yeah, me. Yeah, I feel like stigma is fear ruling it's kind of like controlling us to not say what we want to say or do what we want to do because oh i'm scared that's i feel like that's yeah and and the way i was viewed at from so i i got out i cleaned my life up i came out with seven months sober went to a program for outpatient and i cleaned up you know and i got my act together i started um, you know doing some work on myself and i started changing who i was everything everything of 
everything about Patrick was changing and I was still viewed as the the convict drug addict that I was in you know and I'm not I'm trying not to be anymore yeah that's where like even my own family members didn't know how to communicate with me my mom and dad were a little different they didn't understand it completely they were just very supportive my own family members didn't know how to actually talk to me they were scared to talk to me yeah that's how bad it was my own cousins that I grew up with like didn't know how to communicate with me like that's where that's where it took me and I'm just like like it was only like last year and I I kind of I got, I got pissed at them at, at a family gathering. I'm like, you view me as something like a creature. Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking human being. I am just like you. I go through my own shit. The only difference is now I'm doing something about it. So yeah. don't look at me like I was poor me was in prison or poor me was a drug addict. Like, no, have a conversation with me. Ask me how it was. Yeah. Ask me what I fucking went through and what I felt. Like that. those are the conversations I want to have with my fucking loved ones. Not... Hey, how are you doing? Like pitying you, okay? you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like I don't need your it's, fucking pity, man. <laughs> they don't understand it. They don't try and seek the knowledge, so they're just like kind of yeah. weary of you. Yeah, and that and that was like the that that was my real face-to-face interaction with the stigma of substance abuse and being a convict. Was my own love and like my own flesh and blood, my own family mm-hmm. would look at me and view me as like a creature, you know, like yeah. a little monster. Don't get me wrong, I was a fucking monster. But like not anymore, you know. It was like three years past all that. It's like, hey, like it's time you start treating me like a normal human fucking being. Yeah. You know, enough is enough. And so it, it was a lot different after we had that conversation, especially with my cousins, because I love them. I love each and every one of them. You know, um, I don't like what they did to me, but I can't. I can't blame them. It's just the you know it's how society pinpoints everyone and everything, and the system is set up for you to fail so Mm. that's that was another part of their fear it's like oh he's just gonna end up you know using again and going back to back to prison what system you're referring to the the prison system Mm -hmm. yeah it's set up for you to fail it's that's why i can't pronounce the recidivism something to that effect um that's where my education took me (laughs) um so that that's like the return rate basically and that is so high that people are more comfortable in prison than they are yes. outside. I've heard things of like people who have been like prison for a very long time. It's just like they'd rather go back yeah. than leave because they're like, so they're they're so comfortable with the system. There was a guy, um, my my neighbor, who was in I was in a dorm at the time. He had a ten year sentence and he had to do eight years of that. He was two years into that eight years and he was talking about what he's going to do different next time. I'm like. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Next time, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm just gonna end up coming back here." He's like, he's like, he accepted the fact that that's his life. Yeah, like he's like, "That's my life. reality." Yeah, I was just like, "God, dude," I'm like, "I," that's where things started feeling a little wrong and weird for me. I'm like, I don't belong here. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy that you found you found a way out. Um, I don't know. That's really cool. Like most people don't. They give in. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think that is the? You think it's like it's built for people to keep coming back? Why money? For sure. Yeah. It's 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 all money. At the cost of people's like lives. Lives. And the government gets paid for each individual person that's each bed that's filled, the government pays, you know, for that. So it's money. Money makes the world go round. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in there. The drugs um, are a main money factor. Who do you think is running the drugs in there? It's the people out here. 
So a yeah. lot of a lot of these gangsters, like true real gangsters, that have done real things in their life that that should be in there to pay for their crimes. I believe in that. I be, I believe in justice. I believe that like if you're gonna kill someone or if you're gonna be harming people on a regular basis, you should go pay for your crimes. Mm-hmm. I believe in that. I I I got what I deserved. I robbed the fucking bank. You know? <laughs> like, got what I deserved. You know, I'm yeah. not saying the system is correct, but you get what you deserve. Um, and I. <laughs> like these people um are for the cause going into prison to be like the the mules for the people on the outside the real people running the show those guards are all paid off the captains are paid off those are the like those are how like drugs mainly get in is through the custody officers and through everybody in there the system is just corrupt that's why people get so so comfortable in there and when you have to come out into the real world and work and pay bills and feel your feelings because 99% of them are all drug addicts that can't control themselves so they get high or get in trouble because they're trying to get high. Um, they aren't equipped or they don't have the correct resources or, or they're not seeking the correct resources to get the real help that they need. So they just end up back to where they're comfortable. Yeah. And, and, and you got to think of it. Um, think of someone that you know hasn't lived their life in a way where it's designed that okay you get up in the morning like for me for example like i I get up in the morning i go to the gym i you know drink my shake i come to work i go home i go to my meetings or i you know hang out with my friend whatever it may be right it's a system it's like a designated like little routine that i have these people don't have that these people never had that so when you go to prison you wake up at a certain time you go take your shit you go eat your breakfast, you go to work or you go to school, you come back, you go to the yard and do your workouts, and then you come back, you shower, and you sleep. Designated system. Yeah. And so they're comfortable with that. But they when they come out here, they don't have that. Yeah, they don't have that structure. System. There's nothing there yeah. for them. There's no discipline, there's no real structure, like you said. So they're like, fuck this shit. I'm going back. Yeah, you like know? I I know what I can do there. I know what to do. It's it's set out for me. I don't really have to figure anything out. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, it, it like hurts me to see people going through that consistently in their life. Yeah. You know, there's people that just can't get out of it. They're just stuck in that rat trap. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it changed me as a human being. It made me grow up. I, I didn't know how to make my own bed or clean my room. Like I never made my bed till I was 21 years old. Let me put it like that. My mom babied me. I never did my own laundry. Oh, you know, yeah, me too. I love that woman to death. You know, but like these are the things that just my story. It's my life. Like I never did these things, so I had to do it for my own. I had to fend for myself in there. You know, with the support of some people helping me out. Yeah. So it was yeah. Like I I I, I feel for those people that are just stuck in that, and I'm just grateful that I don't have to live like that no more. You know. It's lots scary. changed. Yeah, lots changed, man. It's, I've I relate with the my my parents. Like my mom babied me all the time. I didn't I didn't know how to do laundry till I came to treatment either. I didn't know how to do laundry. Right. Like people making fun of me, like, why you don't know how to do that? And just like a lot of life skills I just didn't know. Um, I, I I am learning to hate that one part. Oh, you don't know how to do it? It's like no bitch, I was never fucking taught how to do it. <laughs> like the It makes fuck? me it makes me not want to ask for help. Right. I feel exactly. like that's where it comes from. There you go. It's exactly what it is. Like 
if you keep putting me down about something that I never learned or I never knew about, like, do you really fucking think I want to do it? Yeah. Like, no. Like, then, then I don't want to ask for help. And then I'm stuck in the same old shit over and over again. Mm-hmm. That, that, that stuff is like, I'm slowly learning that I'm, that's like one of my pet peeves. It's like, hey, like, you had a different, you know, you're in a different place in your life. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's definitely the acceptance of um, where people are in life. Everybody's at a different spot. And that's like where you... That's where you get agitated with others. It's just yeah. like, why are you... Why are I, you the way you are? Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? I wanted to talk about... You said being Armenian is family stigma. Like, What kind of stigmas come with that? Okay, so when you... when you um, Do you have any Armenian friends? Do you have any Armenian... Okay, so, I don't think so. so. So like throughout my life when someone knows that I'm Armenian, right? The, one of the main thoughts that goes through the head is like, oh... This guy either owns a business, launders money, he's an alcoholic, or he does fraud. <laughs> you know, like those are like the main things that Armenians are known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up in that type of environment and culture, um, you're a man, you take care of your family, you don't cry, you don't express your feelings or show your feelings, you go to work and you shut the fuck up. That's it. That's yeah. all you do. That's what you are designed for. Yeah. And like, not only was I taught that, I was shown that through like my family, how, how they interacted, how they went about their their their, their lives and the ways their lives and the way that they um, they went about like family, friends, all of that. My parents are divorced. They just finalized a divorce divorce this year. I saw what that culture did to my parents through the the drinking, the friends, the um, the man of the house doesn't talk about their feelings like that happened to my dad. He got so mixed up in that like pride and ego that he he instead of like processing it correctly and finding solutions, he just said, yeah. fuck it. It's like it, it takes away the humanness. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't let a they're not letting you a man and you're with your race be human and like experience human feelings you and emotion. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. Yeah. That's what it is. You're not allowed to because this is what you're designed for and this is what you have to do. It's like, no, man, like if I'm having a bad day, I want to talk about it. If uh, something doesn't sit right with me, I, I want to I wanna come up with a solution so it get, you know, I don't have to sit in that feeling all the time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to stay miserable. It's like they're, they, they're like, they're conditioning you to be miserable for the rest of your life. Like, I'm like a robot. Much, yeah. I'm like, uh, I lived like that for a while and then when I this my sobriety this time around this is my third or fourth try I can't remember anymore <laughs> um, crack at sobriety um, I learned that like no like you can't you shouldn't stay in that miserable state of mind like you need to be a human being you know and my parents don't really know or understand that they don't they don't get that one aspect of my life like my mom for example she's like you can drink alcohol eventually right mm-hmm. like i had to like i had to like have real conversations with them it's like hey i never had an issue with alcohol but my issue is drugs the moment i start feeling good about something i want i want to get some dope you know and my dad my dad didn't understand like he hated um he hated the fact that like i was an addict you know mm-hmm. it's like why my son you know why isn't my son perfect yeah why yeah why why him you know and i look at this as my fucking superpower it is you know it, li- it literally is like i i would have never lived my day-to-day life of like being authentic being honest with myself and others 
and just trying to be better every single day and helping others. I, I didn't give a shit about anybody else in my life, yeah. let alone, you know, myself. Now, like, like, I strive to be better every single day. Like, I would have never got that if I didn't, you know, go through... Struggle with addiction. Yeah, struggle with addiction, go through prison, like, go, go through that, um, that cultural, like, uh, handicap that I went through, you know, I would have never got to that place. So it's my fucking superpower. You know, like I feel sorry for some people that don't have that, you know, it's like, hey, yeah. sit in the misery. There's a solution, but you can sit in the misery, you know, and some people just want to. That's what they're comfortable with because they're free to take the next steps to get to a better place in their life because it's hard or it's difficult or mm -hmm. it's time consuming or they're tired. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I hear often. I um, talk to my cousins all the time. She's like, I don't want to like go back to school and I don't want to do this, this and that. I just want to stay. I'm like, stay miserable. Like, What's her response to that? It, she, she was. She had no response to it. <laughs> I'm like, I should have told her to her face. I'm like, you're not going to like the words that are going to come yeah. out of my mouth, but you are complaining about X, Y, and Z and you have solutions to X, Y, and Z, and you but don't. you want to sit there and keep complaining about yeah. X, Y, and Z. Because it's doing it is uncomfortable. Like making the change, it's uncomfortable. So is sitting in the misery. So just... Scary. do something about it's, it it's scary because yeah. it's the it's the fear of the unknown we don't know what the outcome of the of like the steps that we're taking is going to be so we're just going to sit here and be like oh my god uh, maybe maybe not no no it's too much you know so a lot of people get held back in life because of that yeah it's, it's held me back before just like i just stay stagnant and i don't want to because i'm scared of the change and like oh it, it could go bad but what if it goes well you i know? never thought about that <laughs> Mine was always like, oh my God, this is going to be absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like another part of my fear was that, so fear of failure is a huge part of my life and it still is today. So that there's a 95% of the time when I'm putting like too much effort into something is because my fear of failure is coming into play. Mm. And what that does to me is that like I can identify like nowadays is that what it does to me is that it's, it exhausts me. So it leaks into other places in my life where I should be present for my mom and my dad, or I should be present for my friends, or I should be present at home to help out around the house. You know, it leaks into those things because I'm putting so much effort into this one thing or two things because of my fear of failing that I feel like I'm not going to be good enough. So that fear started off early in my sobriety or early in my recovery because I feared that if I don't make it, I'm going to end up wanting to kill myself again. That's where my mental health like issues started playing in because my depression was just so severe that I wanted to kill myself. I, I, I wanted to like, I told myself early on that if I'm going to give an honest 100% effort this time around, if it doesn't, if I don't catch on to this after a year, I, I am going to take the fattest shot of heroin somewhere where no one can fucking find me and just let, let it be. Like that's where my mental health took me mm -hmm. because there was so much fear in the change and that no one would accept me as a human being anymore because of what I went through. It was so difficult. You know, I would go to, um, I would go to like meetings and just stare at the floor because I was so uncomfortable. But what I allowed other people to help me through was like, without others, I couldn't do this, right? And, yeah. it's, and it's the whole asking for help notion because if we don't ask for help in something we don't know, we will be stuck in the same fucking cycle. Exactly. Right. So that's where that's where my fucking. I have a really big fear of failure as well. Yeah. It drives me insane. Everyone has it. Yeah. Here's here's another big um, part of uh, my life was religion. 
Um, so my grandmother is a Jehovah's Witness, right? Mm -hmm. And Jehovah's Witnesses are intense and hardcore. <laughs> they don't celebrate birthdays. They don't celebrate Christmas. They um, they have like meetings that they go to all the time. They're very very intense. Like they're like not fun. <laughs> so I um, at a young age, like you're you're a child. You're you go about your days the way that your parents grandparents whoever it is tells you to so i would go to meetings i would read the bible i would go to studies i wouldn't celebrate birthdays i um, my grandma would never come to my birthdays and i struggled with that i'm like i don't want this i don't want fucking religion if it's going to be like this so i had a bad taste in my mouth from the beginning and i had a huge resentment against Jehovah witnesses and, and organized religion huge resentment fuck every single person yeah. that is an organized religion Nowadays, I'm accepting of it. I don't identify by any organized religion, but I do believe in God, mm -hmm. right? That's just where I'm at in my life. I feel like there's something very powerful out there, but I don't accept that rules and regulations need to be surrounded by that. You know, Definitely. Um, and that's just my viewpoint in life. So I had a huge resentment against my grandma, and um, there came a point where she's like, hey, let's go to a meeting. And I'd be like, fuck no, to the point where I was disrespectful to her. You know, and I, I never realized that when she was when she had four kids in Iran, in Iran, the wife is like spoken to like trash, treated like trash. You're your house servant, basically, um, especially back then. So my grandma, all she did was raise kids while my grandpa was running factories and traveling all around the world and, you know, running his businesses and meeting people. And so she latched on to Jehovah's Witnesses. She latched on to organized it's, religion. It's all she knew. I, it actually brings me back to what I forgot. I, what I forgot. It, <clears throat> all we know is what is taught to us. It's not like we just like come out of the womb knowing everything. So it's all of the stuff is passed down. Like all the, all the stigmas and the, the way your parents were treated. That's most likely how they're going to treat you. Yeah. It's just, and you can't like you can't blame them for it. It's just like it happened. It sucks. I had this, let's try and change it. I had this weird thing against therapy for a very long time. Okay. Um, because I, my ego and my pride, right? That's just growing up. Like I got to be a fucking macho man. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of years into my into my recovery, I'm like, um, I had this weird thing against therapy. That's like I'm not broken anymore. Which there's still parts of me that are broken, but. Like, I don't need that. Like, that's for, like, really broken people that need the extra help that can't get it through, you know, conventional ways. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, ther therapy was unconventional for me, you know? And I'm like, I took a stab at it, and it's just like, wow. Like, I can just use this as, like, my the betterment of me as a human being. Yeah. You know? And I, like... That's I, what it is. <laughs> I, that's what it is. I, I, I looked at it so wrong and so convoluted because... Once again, growing up as Armenian, therapy, yeah. fuck no. Why would you need therapy? We're, we don't have feelings. We don't need <laughs> feelings. You know, like, what's the point of feelings? You're going to go to work, come home, drink, and go to sleep. Yeah. Why would you want anything else? You know, I'm just like, I, I was mind blown. I'm like, this is how I was taught. I didn't know any better. And for a while, my parents didn't even raise me. My friends raised me. Mm, really, I actually really let I that one sink in. I identify with that. <laughs> yeah. My, so parents my parents were always working like i just had working parents mm -hmm. they were just trying their hardest to provide material things that they didn't get so weren't emotionally there at all for my for me or my brother so my brother ha got friends learning things from friends 
his friends teaching him stuff, passing it down to me. That's how information was just passed down. It literally was. By the time I hit high school, I was an athlete, and I was maybe home like an hour or two out of the day because I'd leave in the morning early to go smoke weed and drink before school or get high on drugs before school, go about my school, go to my sport. I'd play water polo, so I would go to practice. And then I'd either have a game or something, and I would go work out with my buddies afterwards, and then end the night with doing, kind of doing my homework and getting fucked up and going home at like eleven o'clock, sleep, repeat. Yeah. You know, so like my friends like almost raised me. You know, like I just I learned off of other people about like who, who and how to like who I should be and how I should act. Yeah. And I was just thinking back now, it's like. Well, no crap, I was fucked up. You know, I'm having people that were in worse situations in their lives. Um, and like nothing against them, but just like they were accustomed to this at an early age. I got into it in high school. So like I latched on to that, that culture and the, their lifestyle kind of a little later in life. And that just became I adopted that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, I just learned from them. Learn the street skills. The street skills. You know, the street smart, stupid stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, that's where you, I learned it in high school as well. Just like the the growing up, not f- fucking feeling good at all. Just not knowing how to cope with things, especially with the the culturistic cultural stigmas passed down. You get introduced to drugs in high school. That seems like the best way to cope. Intru- I got introduced to drugs in a fucking hospital. I woke Ooh. up. I woke up in the middle of the night, screaming in pain, like out of a dead sleep, screaming in pain. What happened? I had a, a cyst on my pancreas, right? So I was in so much pain, and it was like genuine pain. There was a, it was a baseball-sized little cyst, not little. There was a baseball-sized cyst on my pancreas that was. Uh, they called it a benign tumor. So it was, it was a tumor, but it was benign. It wasn't active. Those cysts can pop, and like it's like corrode, like like crows your insides and causes actual cancer and so that thing was inflamed really big and when i um i woke up screaming in the middle of the night went to the hospital I was 14 years old first thing they did first fucking thing morphine first thing like nothing else they didn't even evaluate me they didn't, i just said i have stomach pain like okay cool here you go <laughs> i was like what the fuck you know and and um a couple years back i uh I left work. I, I had food poisoning. I had no idea. I had a really stressful day at work. I had uh, like projectile diarrhea on the way out of work. I went home and I was at one point I was I was vomiting and I had diarrhea at the same time. Oh, that's how it goes. And then, yeah, my mom's just like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I need to go to the hospital." <laughs> I go to the hospital and I had a fever. I was just in a really bad. I, had, I was really bad, um, dehydrated, and like I was just in like a really bad shape. And I finally fell asleep. I woke up to the nurse nudging me, like accidentally, and she was just like, like twisting something onto my IV, and I'm like, oh, what is that? She's like, oh, it's morphine for the pain. I'm like, don't you fucking dare! <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Like, I didn't ask for that. Yeah. And I told her, I'm like, I'm, I'm in recovery from opiates. Like, you, take your hand off that plunger, yeah. please. <laughs> you know, and it's like. It's those things where you're like, oh, you're in pain? Here you go. Yeah, they just hand it you know? out. And, like, then they, and then they see all these people addicted to opiates and dying from overdoses. It's like, well, where do you think part of it started? You know? They just hand out medications like it's nobody's business. Yeah. I've like I've heard of my friends here in uh, recovery going to like, they have a surgery they need to go do. And it's just, they let them know they're in recovery and they're still like, they're kind of fighting. Like, uh, you, you know, this is really going to hurt. It's just like... I don't want the drugs, okay? You know? 
it's it's crazy how much like the I guess like the hospitals in in America at least um, push drugs. Yeah, because it, it's easier. It's 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 just like what that's their way of life, you know. And it's just like, and um, another part of that is like when when they like would send me home with meds, my parents freaked out. They like held on to the meds. Because I was a pill popper at one point too, so they like their trauma kicked in. It's like, oh my god, mm. he's gonna abuse it. I'm gonna abuse antibiotics, really. <laughs> like, but that's that like that's just their reality, you know, of mm. like what I went through, and um, so that along with me working in treatment, that's where like the conversations of my mom and dad would have. I'm like, are you okay working with those people? <laughs> they would seriously say that to me, like those people. Like, I am those people, mom, dad. You know, like like you're talking about people going through what i went through and me working in an environment of like yes i'm getting a paycheck it's like they're isolating you out of it right like, I'm <laughs> fucking different. probably worse than 90 percent of these people yeah. but like i'm just i just gotten better you know and that's where i'm working in this field to help people get better yes i'm getting a paycheck but i'm still helping them and it's like where where did that whole concept come like where did your thinking in your brain take you there and it's just like that's just what it is and it's like the conversations that they have with their friends and like it's just what they know it's their reality you know yeah. and that's the fucking stigma fucking stigma that's what it is it's like you are a certain way because of what you did and that's it that's you are defined as a by human your- being by your actions it's like yes that is true but we're not all, we're not always defined of like what we did in the past yeah. that's just that's what that's the difference we'd be fucked if we were still like looked at as what we for what we did in the past Oh. Nobody would like me. Jesus, yeah, fuck that. Are you kidding me? I don't have friends. I don't have a job. Are you kidding me? I, I was so scared to even apply for a fucking job. I was so scared. I, I landed in this field by accident. I was an outpatient. <clears throat> I was desperate for a full-time job. I applied to a couple places. All got denied. Right away. Are you on parole or probation? Yes, I'm on parole. For what? Oh, I committed two robberies and I just got done with a two-year sentence. Oh, thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you. you. Know? We're good. Yeah. And then... um. <clears throat> And and I also had an active case when I got out. I had a drug charge when I got out. So mm-hmm. I was not not only did I get released from prison and released from county jail after prison. And I had an open case where I was I was facing. I had had to go back for four years. And I'm trying to do outpatient. I'm trying to change my life. I'm trying to do all these things. It's like like f- fuck me, right? That's all I felt. Like fuck me. That's how. That's one of the ways the system is designed to fuck you. Because I had more than enough opportunities to go get high again, commit more shit. Because like I'm going back anyway, might as well go out with the bang. Yeah. You know that's where my thinking took me. I thought that like I had a fleeting thought that I'm like, well, I'm going back, and I have all these like this knowledge now of like staying sober. I could just go use for a little bit and just go back. It's, it's a cycle. It's another cycle. Right. All right, well, Patrick, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. I have learned so much about you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was fun. I feel like, yeah, I got a lot of more insight on like different cultural stigmas and I didn't know much about the incarceration stigmas, 
It's pretty dope. I mean, it's not dope. It fucking sucks. But well, I mean, it's knowledge, right? It's, it's, if we don't if we don't learn about these things and know about it, how are we gonna break the stigma? Yeah. How are we gonna like live out loud about it? You know, I don't always talk about like the the real day to day shit that goes on in there, other than with a few people. But like, this is where me coming into like doing this, for example, or like the past couple of years that I I've started realizing like who and how I was acting, like who I was and how I was acting. It's like we need to as a community start talking and living out loud a little bit more Fuck yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right thank you patrick i of appreciate course, no you problem. that was really good